Hello and welcome to the Work Well podcast. The World Health Organization has identified the workplace as a priority area for health promotion. Why then does the word work have such a negative and unhealthy connotation for so many people? Think about it. We spend so much of our adult lives at work. Why should it be in a role or in an environment that doesn't support our health and well-being? My name is Brian Crook, and I'm on a mission to make workplaces more positive places to be and to make our working day as healthy and productive as possible. Join me on the Work Well podcast as I interview workplace well-being thought leaders and industry professionals to discuss how employers, employees, and entrepreneurs can lead the way by creating and sustaining the healthy, safe, and well workplaces of the future. Hello, and welcome to episode seven of the Work Well podcast. If you haven't already, check out our website, workwellpodcast.com, where you can access show notes for each episode and discover fantastic bonus content. So this podcast is brought to you by our partners, Irish Life Health and AJ Products. My guest on the show today is Dr. Coleman Nocter. Dr. Nocter is a child and adolescent psychoanalyst and mental health nurse at St. Patrick's University Hospital. He's also a part-time assistant professor at Trinity College Dublin, where he lectures on the MSc in Child, Adolescent, and Family Mental Health. Coleman has over 24 years of national and international experience. His special interest areas are mental health and technology and eating disorders. He is the author of Cop On, a best-selling parenting book which deals with parenting in a technological age. So as a parent myself, I must say I learned so much from this conversation. Episode is it really is a must listen for any parent out there. So let's dive straight in to my conversation with Dr. Coleman Nocter. Dr. Coleman Nocter, you're welcome to the Workwell podcast. How are you? Very good, thanks. Very good, thanks. And how are, how are you? Yeah, not too bad now. It's uh, they're obviously interesting times to be working in, on the front line, I suppose, from the point of view. A lot of stress around, a lot of difficulty trying to juggle everything. But um, yeah, I think we're muddling through, trying to prioritize what's important and, and not overly stress about the stuff that's not too important. But um, yeah, look, it, it, I think the one benefit of this is that everyone's struggling with it. You know, it's not, we can't personalize it um, because everyone's in the same boat. And so from that point of view, I think it creates a kind of a collective struggle, I think, which is probably less personalized a little bit. But nonetheless, very difficult. But uh, getting there, I think, is probably surviving. Maybe that's the way to, to put it, the best way. Surviving, surviving. And, and so what is, what's the day-to-day work and life like for you at the moment? Because you're in, the, you're in St. Mental, uh, St. Patrick's Mental Health Hospital, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I work, um, I do kind of three days from there. And then I usually do two days in Trinity. So... Uh, Trinity's closed at the moment, so we're working remotely. So that involves a bit of working from home, which is a challenge nonetheless. Yeah, and then obviously the three days here are, are tricky. I mean, it, it's, I suppose we, we think about the front line, we consider maybe those of people in A&E and ICU and things like that. But it's important to remember that, you know, people in mental health services are struggling with this as well. And like, for instance, because re- visiting is restricted. Uh, so I work in an adolescent unit. So all the teenagers here their parents can't come in to visit them uh, and they um, obviously can't go home for leave, which they normally would do, which 
just makes the whole experience much, much more difficult. You know, there's a kind of a, a sense of, um, I guess, being cut off and disconnected. And, and again, I would say, you know, that's probably being mirrored and experienced across the board. And I think when we're thinking about mental health, we normally would say to people, you know, socialize, mix of people, you have some productivity to your day, structure your day, you know, get involved in activities, exercise, all those sorts of things. And a lot of those things are not available to us at the moment. So when you're giving advice to people to, to try and manage stress, the options and the list of, of things that they can do are so limited. And obviously, I work a lot with young people who are doing leaving certs, huge amounts of stress there around the uncertainty of whether it's going ahead, when it's going ahead, how it will go. And I, I suppose, yeah, there's just, it, it's it, the level of the ripples of disruption is phenomenal from the point of view of from economic to vocational to uh, occupational to activities to it's even important like people who who may have really enjoyed watching sport and that would have been a real coping strategy to not have that outlet is um yeah it, it the, the ripple effects of this are are huge uh, and the, and I would say you know we're we're looking at a physical pandemic at the moment I think what we might be struggling with after this is a, a bit of a mental health pandemic in that sense um and I really worry about that, to be honest. Um, the longer this goes on, I think the tougher it's going to be. Yeah, okay. And we're hearing, certainly hearing that from an economic perspective, aren't we? The longer it goes on, the worse it's going to be for the economy. But we're not hearing so much about the, the mental health implications for the longer it goes on. And, and that sounds particularly challenging for the, the adolescents that you work with, you know, the restrictions on the visitations. And I'd imagine even, as you mentioned, sport could be, you know, a wonderful outlet then for, sure. for many of those. And that, again, that's been taken away at this moment in time. Well, if you imagine, if you think about it, the, the, the level of extracurricular activities that we would have had in our teens versus what we'd have in our 30s and 40s, like they're, they're significantly trimmed down. So where you might be doing kind of five or six things a week, then you might be lucky to do one a week when you're a family and your parents and you're have all these other roles but that's a huge chunk of their life and their schedule and their structure that's gone do you know what I mean so and there's also the the, the worries around I suppose the social skill set of what's being lost and I hear a lot of people who have maybe have younger children I know Brian you have a small child yourself too in terms of they may be starting primary school and so they're getting used to that socialization process and then that's been disrupted yeah so they're going kind of weeks without seeing other children and for us as adults, we've developed those social skill sets, so we have them to fall back on. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That we have them in the bag. Whereas for young people who are learning those developmental skills, they're actually missing out on yeah. opportunity. Now, I've no doubt that they'll make ground once mm -hmm. it comes back, but you've, I, I suppose we're, we would have never had an experience where we've seen a child's social and emotional development be paused or frozen for a period of time. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of children who may have been very ill in their youth and maybe have missed out on connecting with friends. Maybe they had serious illness when they were small or something like that. There are social repercussions for that because they find it hard to readjust and reconnect. But we've never had it on a global scale where they're all not seeing each other. And I, I think from my own experience of my own children, I think the pals and missing the friends and the structure, maybe for the first week or two, it was like a long Easter holiday. Whereas I think now there's certainly the, the fatigue of that is, is maybe setting in a little bit. And that, Again, it goes, and it's the same as anything. I mean, our endurance of the longevity of something can be can take its toll more so than the acuity of it. Do you know what I mean? So it's not whether the glass is half empty or half full, but I mean, how long you have to hold the glass out for. Do you know what I mean? In the sense of that. So 
um, the length of time that this goes on will be an important indicator into the, the, the mental health consequences of it for everybody. And in, in terms of how we could so support our, our children at this time, I know it's certainly for, from the employer perspective, we're hearing lots of employers are putting on hosting virtual cafes where people can just drop in and encouraging people to stay in touch over Zoom or whatever the technology may be. And as it turns out, my daughter, yeah, she, she's five. She actually, her, her friend's birthday from her, from her school was uh, only last week. And they actually had a bit of a virtual party over Zoom and, and a chat like that. Now, I know we discourage, you know, a whole lot of screen time at the, at the best of times. I imagine it's still, it's a little bit of an outlet there for them to have their kind of their little group interaction, maybe similar to what, what the adults in the workplace might be. Is, is there any differences there, though? Is that something we should, we should be encouraging? Uh, or, or is there something to be aware of there? Yeah, I think there's two sides to that. I think in terms of when you have very little at your disposal, every, every little helps, yeah. if, that may, if I can borrow that, that expression. So the Zoom contact, looking at five-year-olds, they interact physically. That's how they yeah. play. You know? So no matter how much you try and replicate that on a screen, it's not going to be the same. Mm -hmm. So they're not talkers and chatters, they're doers. Do you know what I mean? So they go and do stuff together. And that's how they communicate through toys and play. Sure. And so when you're doing it screen to screen, it's, it might, it, it, it's better than nothing, but it's, uh, it's not the same. And we can't draw that parallel to that. But the, one of the things I would think is a really positive use of the pandemic in terms of is our relationship with technology. I think from the point of view of for so long, we had a fairly infantile relationship with technology and the time spent on technology was, you know, maybe less than helpful, you know, from the point of view. And I would always say that it's not bad technology, it's bad usage. So from the point of view of, and, and if I use technology, if you, let's say two of us, we're measuring it by screen time. Let's say that's the measurement. And I don't believe screen time is a useful measurement at all because you could spend an hour on YouTube learning a song on a guitar a tutorial that's a really useful use of your time yeah. it's a skill set etc i would spend an hour going through instagram profiles and feeling utterly miserable about myself as i negatively compare myself to everyone else and that has an absolutely devastating effect on my self-esteem and self-worth but screen time will only say it's an hour do you know what i mean so we yeah. spent an hour each so we have to move away from the time spent to the time well spent because we can and what we've learned to this is we can actually use technology to enhance our relationships if we use it on our terms and take control of how we use technology rather than how technology uses us it can be massively important in terms of changing and shifting that relationship and i think when we think about workplace well-being and how we use technology to to access each other we're seeing ways in which the technology is now becoming the water cooler in terms of we're using it as a point to connect as opposed to a point to escape whereas oftentimes we would, we would sit in a room and, and the, the meeting's been delayed and we will escape into our phone in order to avoid that social conversation. Do you know what I mean from sure. the point of view of that? And I would always say challenge somebody to, to stand in a lift and when somebody gets in, don't check your phone. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> We'd kind of come to that almost kind of socially phobic in that way, whereas now we're using technology in a pro-social way, which is to sure. connect when we can't. And I would really be hopeful that there's some silver lining to this is that our relationship with technology is different and we see it as on our terms rather being rather than us being puppeted by it does that make sense yeah it does yeah and it's the first time i've, I've heard you know a lot of positives coming out of this it was the first time i've heard um 
you know, our argument for a positive coming out of our use of technology, our, our relationship with technology. So really, really great to hear that. And I like that idea of time well spent with technology or time well spent on screen as opposed to just time spent on screen. Mm. And, and you kind of you hinted at the comparisons there. And there's I got you know, looking back, it might have been we might have been looking at Instagram for you know, people working out in a gym and this kind of idea or all the healthy food, the fantastic food they were they were cooking up. But now it's probably we're looking and maybe as parents, we're looking at, you know, the, the, the parents that are doing six, seven hours a day of homeschooling while squeezing in a full time job and the house is pristine, clean also as well. Can I, I know you've spoken previously about the parenting triangle. And I think we're kind of we're adding uh, something else to it now as well, aren't we? This this homeschooling element. Yeah, I mean, I, I think one of the major issues with parenting in contemporary parenting is expectation. Do you know what I mean? In terms of what is expected of us as parents, and you know, there's there's a, that kind of funny slide that, uh, that I would always show in presentations is all you have to do to make sure your parenting is good is make sure your child's spiritual, academic, <laughs> uh, social, emotional, and physical well-being. Are, and there's this kind of list of stuff yeah. that's bananas. Do you know what I mean? From And it finishes off with not forgetting the coconut oil. Do you know what I mean? So there's <laughs> that kind of idea that what, what we have to do, and then compared to every generation up to now, the advice was, you know, keep them safe and feed them sometimes. Do you know what I mean? So the... <laughs> My sense is always that in the parenting issue, we have overcomplicated it. You know what I mean by the the way in which we we approach it with that expectation, um, and you know, and, and and I think that creates pressure. That creates the and so when we have a hyper comparative culture, like everything else, when you're looking at you know when you're on your couch having a Pringles and you look at your mate taking his selfies from the gym, it's going to make you evaluate yourself poorly and then when you take into account the homeschooling home parenting working from home parenting from work absolutely feel it's really important for people to get a grasp of this working from home and what we're doing now is not the same thing right so if i'm working from home and my children are in school or childcare, i have the only difference is my location i still have an undistracted space from which to write work etc now i'm working from home but i'm parenting at the same time that's another element in of, of a task that i have to do so now i have to parent and work at the same time which is essentially the same as bringing my children to work with me and trying to do my job in that way it's an extra task it's not it's not just the location that's moved it's the task is completely different we're, we're having to multitask in that way yeah. so the parenting triangle was there's three elements to parenting and you can only have two. Yeah. So it was uh, your own sanity, <laughs> a clean house and happy children. So you can't have all three. You have to set. And what it does is it makes you prioritize what's important to you. Sure. And most people will choose to, to sacrifice the clean house and have their own sanity and their happy children. Yeah. But what it is about is that we, if we overstretch ourselves and we want to get it perfect, we're only building ourselves up to feel like failures because perfection isn't, Achievable. There's no such thing as the perfect parent. Parenting is essentially an exercise in failure. <laughs> you just have to not fail as much that has any long lasting effect. Because the idea that we'd have this view that we would never raise our voice, that we would never, you know, get things wrong, or, you know, if you go in and your three year old is writing with a crayon on your newly painted walls and you roar at them, you know, that's, that's a human reaction. That's, you can't beat yourself up about that. And I think as parents in this pandemic, we need to actually give ourselves a break. We are not teachers. We're not trained to do this. 
like only yesterday I was doing a bit with my son and it was we we're doing maths and he said oh no we don't do it that way anymore and I was reminded of that scene from the Incredibles where the man is going maths or maths do you know what I mean but I was, I was kind of losing it a little bit but Oh, like you don't carry the one anymore, Brian, in case you didn't know that. There's a new way of doing that. Yeah, that's news but, to me now as well. <laughs> but these are all kind of stressors that we're trying to adjust to, that we are not, it's not that you're not trained to do it, but we are not used to teaching our children. We, you know, this is a, a new task that's in addition to trying to keep down the job, trying to keep your house going, trying to keep the washing machine going, the clothes on the, on the iron. And we just have to cut our cloth and say, I can only fit this in where I can. And... The, this will have to be remedied after this point. It's when we try and spin every place that they tend to fall. Do you know what I mean? And if I was saying to you, you know, catch a tennis ball and I threw it at, threw 10 tennis balls at you at once, you might not catch them all. But if I threw them at you one at a time, you'd catch them. And, you know, it's back to that, what's the best way to eat an elephant is one spoon at a time. You know, it, it, we, we have to kind of break this down and not get overwhelmed by the dauntingness of what is expected of us. And, not be swayed by the Instagram groups or the, you know, homeschoolers, as I said to you before, about the three hours of Latin that we covered this morning and <laughs> how we've made projects and these wonderful looking robot suits and everything else that we're trying to compare ourselves to. If, you, if that's not your space and you can't do that, give yourself a break. Enough is enough. Yeah. And we are in a survival mode. This is, this is about just getting through this. It, nobody is thriving out there despite what their WhatsApp group messages might suggest. Yes. And it's, it's important for us to kind of give us that, ourselves that break. So parenting is, is an exercise in failure. Um, some some great quotes there. And I think another one I've, I've read of yours is that, so, and you've, you've hinted at it there, that multitasking is a myth. So that idea that we should, if we can concentrate on, on one, maximum two of those areas at any one time, that's where we should, uh, you know, put our energies to and not and not beat ourselves up if we're not get squeezing in that three hours of Latin, as you've mentioned, or or whatever it is, and not comparing ourselves to others. Yeah, I mean, and multitasking is a digital concept. Do you know what I mean? It's like you know that you can keep seven windows open on your computer and work on the five things and six things and seven things at once. The issue is that there's no evidence to suggest we can do three things to the same quality as we can do one. We have to. There's only we're in an economy where time and attention are limited and we have to spread them out amongst what we have it's not time is is, is not a renewable resource do you know what i mean it's not, it's one thing that we can't duplicate so if there's only so much time in the day and you have to parent keep your house running work from home then the the baking exercises and the you know elaborate project making have to be you have to cut them out and the, and you have to build your your expectation around what you have rather than what you hope you want to have do you know what I mean mm -hmm. and the the there's a lovely formula for happiness that says happiness is expectation minus reality equals happiness so if your expectations are up here and your reality is down here the potential for unhappiness is the gap between right and oftentimes what we do in life is not changing reality we can't change reality all we can change is our expectations sure and so from the point of view of almost life can get so much better if we just dropped our standards. You know what I mean? From the point of view, there's some truth in that, that we have to accept that we are in an unprecedented time of crisis and that the things that we would normally run at a high pace, we need to drop that. And, you know, we, we've come from a time where, where I suppose expectations have been driven all the time by the way in which we compare ourselves to other people. And in a pandemic, that's no different. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? But it is, it is a time for a reality check. And I think a lot of people are saying 
that what's coming out of this is they're reevaluating their value system, the things that they thought were important before, things that they took for granted, like meeting people or mixing people or mm-hmm. shaking hands with somebody, that they're, when they, the absence of that has made them reevaluate that and say that actually was really important. And, uh, and again, there is a process of, of trying to maybe take the time to realign our value system a little bit. And what we want to do is not sweat the small stuff. Do you know yeah. what I mean? And I think before this, we were getting completely sucked into the, the small stuff dynamic, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, can I uh, give you an example of the, a story for this? Just to, oh, yeah. It's how I would explain it to, to sometimes to young people is there's a, a philosophy lecturer. He comes into a class and he has a jar and he fills it full of rocks. And he asks the class, is it full? And they said, yes. And then he gets pebbles and he sprinkles them in between the rocks. And he says, now is it full? And they said, yes. And then he gets sand and sprinkles between the rocks and the pebbles. He said, now is it full? And they say, yes. And he said, that represents a meaningful and fulfilled life. And he said, the rocks are the really important things, like my health, my family, my happiness, my intimate friendships and relationships. The pebbles are the less important things, like my work ethic, my performances, my grades, etc. And the sand is the really superfluous, cosmetic rubbish that's really not that important about how many likes I get and all that sort of stuff. And he said, in order to feel fulfilled, we must put the rocks in first, then the pebbles, Mm -hmm. then sand. And for me, we were living in a culture that was selling us sand and telling us sand was really important. And as we filled our jars with sand, there was no room for rocks and pebbles. And I think what the pandemic has done is kind of emptied out the jar and now we can sort out. And if we can work out what is my rock, what is my pebble and what is my sand and organize my life in that order that I prioritize the important stuff, well, then that's resilience. That's how I'm not going to get caught up in the small stuff. It's how I'm not going to sweat the small stuff. It's how I'm going to learn how to prioritize. And I do think there's probably been an opportunity to, for us to empty out the jar. And now we can resh- reshuffle that on our own terms. And I just, um, I know that's kind of an optimistic view of where we're at, but it, it, crisis breeds invention in some respects. And yeah. there's, a, there's a saying in, in the Eastern culture that, the same word for crisis is the same as opportunity. And there is an opportunity in the crisis here to, to do stuff. And I'm not minimizing the distress of people losing jobs and losing yeah. loved ones and all that. That, of course, is by far more a pressing issue. But from the point of view, there may be something we can get out of this. And if, for me, if it's about reevaluating our value system, realigning our priorities, well, that's a hugely useful thing for us to use the time to do. Yeah, um, I mean, really well said there. And it, it, is, it is an opportunity, if you like, for reflection and to, to take a step back. And I really like that, the, the, the way you've, you've introduced that with the, you know, emptying the jar, if you like, uh, almost mm. a chance for a restart or a refresh and thinking about what, what, is, what are our, our rocks um, and what, what are the pebbles and, and what is the sand, the stuff maybe that's superfluous, as you said. And a time for to appreciate what we had and, and what we have, I think, as well. And I think there's probably lots of people, lots of parents certainly are, are appreci- uh, appreciating the, the amazing school teachers we have. I mean, there, there's one example with all of us now um, homeschooling. I know I certainly have a newfound appreciation. I mean, I knew they were, I knew they were good beforehand, but now I just think they're absolutely phenomenal. And even, you know, they're, they're, they're sending on the, the, the excellent videos uh, and kind of structure week to week now I'd be I'd be lying if I said if I was following that structure perfectly but it's I know it's there I know I can catch up I can you can go to it it, it does it really does support uh, parents at this time 
and uh, you know uh, also not, not beating yourself up about that as well if, if you're not on schedule so certainly lots of positives and lots of opportunity as well and that's interesting i didn't know about that the, the eastern philosophy or the, the, the word that the crisis breeds opportunity i'm certainly seeing kind of shoots of that and some people some some organizations kind of kind of leading by example at this time as well so it's it's, it's a there certainly will be quite a few positives that come out of this yeah i think there is and i, and I think it's um it's a timeout that was maybe much needed in that way but like everything i think the problem is the dialogue is flips too far brian so from the point of view of you know everyone we needed a bit of time out we needed to, to recalibrate a little bit yeah but this level is it's <laughs> beyond the beyonds and the length of which it has gone you know there's almost yeah. now it's we're too much in the other side and yeah. you're, you're hopeful that you know on a dial of one to ten four to seven is the safest place to be from a mental health perspective, anything one, two, three, and eight, nine, ten is where you're at risk of, of overdoing or underdoing something. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I would always say to someone, reevaluate where you're at and try and go to four to seven because it's the safest place to be. So whether it's work, family life, your use of alcohol, socializing, religion, job, you know, food, four to seven is the safest place to be. If you're overdoing it or underdoing it, that's when we tend to lose run into problems and you know that that whole idea of moderation 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 it is it's not about mediocrity it's about safety and i think from the point of view of um we need to kind of more than ever kind of check into where we're at and if we're in that eight nine ten we need to bring it right down and if we're in the one two three we need to bring it back up and and I, again if, if we were looking for a, a skill set to try and manage or maintain their well-being through that it would be four to seven that would be that's where we need to be and that's that's kind of something I would use personally in my own life. And yeah. um, nobody stays in 47 all the time. We're always up in the one, two, threes and eight, nine, ten. But if we're striving to go there, mm-hmm. we're doing enough. And if you're still trying, you haven't failed. And yeah. it's really important for us to kind of allow ourselves to get it wrong and learn from the getting it wrong and just continue to try and get it right. You know, um, yeah. and, I, and I do think that maybe, as you say, the kind of workplace well-being, the attitudes we have to certain things, we're reshuffling that a little bit and, and reshuffling the, the cabinet of expectation. And uh, I, I, I have to think that's probably a good thing. Yeah. Brilliant. Great advice there. And, and speaking of the workplace, there are a lot, there's, there's quite a bit of talk about, uh, you know, welcoming or how we can, how workplaces can support employees as they come back into the workplace, as they welcome them back and reboarding them, uh, it's been called. And there's, there's certainly talk about you know the schools reopening and 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 this, but I'm not hearing a whole lot of talk about how we support our children as they actually come back into 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 the school environment. And of course, I am thinking about my own daughter who is five, who started primary school this year, and you know, fortunately, it was a really positive experience for her. But it wouldn't have been the same for every for every child and for every every parent. And I'm sure. You know, this is going to be like almost, you know, having been at home with, with family, with siblings, with parents for, for quite a period of time. I mean, this is just like starting all over again or, or probably even different on top of that. Yeah, I think I'd go back to that four to seven model. I mean, yeah. if the contact with their friends has been one, two, three, and their contact with school has been one, two, three in the last six or eight weeks or if it goes to two months or whatever, we can't just bang the dial up to 10 and say, right, you're back in school, full pelts, go at yeah. it. Do you know what I mean? It's, it'll be completely overwhelming for the children to manage that. So we have to engage in an integration or reintegration or weaning back into the social sphere. And, you know, there's, there's elements of ways in which we can do that. And the pacing of something is really, really important. Mm-hmm. And it, it, this is a parenting issue as well. 
pacing your parenting is about introducing something into your child's life when they're ready for it. And it's, it's introducing a level that promotes them learning. So you have to test them. There has to be surmountable stress, but it's making the surmountable stress not verge into overwhelming stress. Do you know what I mean? So you're trying to, to motivate them to be under a degree of pressure so that they're learning, but not at a point where you overwhelm them. And this is a question that parents are talking about a lot around how do we communicate in the early days, early days when we started the pandemic, people were saying, how do I tell my eight year old about what this is? Mm -hmm. And your goal is to make them vigilant and wash their hands and cough and be aware that there's something amiss, but not making them hyper vigilant so that they can't sleep at night. So the idea is you're pacing the information at a level at which the child can manage. And there are some children and the other myth is that there's one way to parent. There's not. There are children who are sensitive and may need a lot more of the positive slant on how to, to manage things. And there are children who may be a little bit more robust and want the detail and work better with that. So the parenting is about setting the pace at the, ch the way in which the child can manage and adjusting the pace where the child can't manage. So it's your flexibility and responsiveness that makes parenting, uh, I suppose, an exercise in less failure, if that makes sense. But the idea is, how do we pace it right? And for children who, who maybe are bursting to get back and are able for a lot more, maybe they can attend a little more, but others who may need a little bit more scaffolding and handholding, we might need to adjust the pace for that. And one of the problems with anything like school is that the normative is set for everybody, and we all must hit that. You know, and, and again, I think it needs to be a little bit more individual in terms of what each child can manage. I know that's way more complicated than one size fits all model but maybe if we want to do it correctly as opposed to expediently we need to consider that but i would certainly think reintegration weaning uh, and some degree of, of upping the pace as we go uh, and not flipping the dial too far in the other direction would lessen the risk of them becoming overwhelmed okay yeah so the, so the pace of this will be will be really important and then communicating with our, our children as much as possible. And as you're kind of saying there, some children will be will understand this a little better and some it might take might take a little more time. I, I know again, my, my daughter, for example, she, she's interested, she wants to know about the virus, or she 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 seems to understand about it. And certainly when we go for our daily walk, without without being asked, without being told, she will go to the other side of the, the path if someone's passing. Um, so I, I would hope then I will try and keep up that communication with her for, for the reintegration back to school as well for her to understand that it's, it's a safe place you're going back to and you'll only be going back when it is when it is safe to do so. Yeah, and, and I suppose you worry about the children learning from a new normal, which is because this social distancing or physical distancing is normative in that everyone's doing yeah. it, but it's not normal from the point of view of how we benchmark behavior. Do you know what I mean? So we need to be able to distinguish between what is normative and what is normal. And you know, just because everyone's doing it doesn't mean it's the right thing to do in other circumstances. Um, and again, these are the things that I think we, we may need to be mindful of when this is all over is the reintegration of the normal from the normative. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? This, um, and again, how long the concept of social distancing stays in our lives will depend on how easy or difficult it is to reintegrate to the normal. Do you know what I mean? The longer you're out, the longer you're doing the normative, which is what you have to do, then the more strange or alien the normal becomes. Um, and I hope that's not too complicated, but I, I think from the point of view of we have to be mindful of what we have to do, but be mindful that this is an extraordinary set of circumstances in which we have to do it. And for children who maybe 
will struggle to grasp that, you know, it's absolutely okay for them to want to hug their grandparents and they will be able to hug them again. And it's not about feeling fearful of getting a hug from your grandparents yeah. because that's the message you don't want to send. But it's about being cautious and, and knowing why you can't do it for now, but you will be able to do it again. And I really believe in selling the positives to children. You know, there's, we see loads of examples of, you know, people supporting frontline workers and people, you know, clapping out in the streets and people, there's a real sense of humanity, collectiveness, togetherness. And anxious children need to be remembered of the, the strength of humanity and how we are, you know, an amazingly resilient and supportive place, even though that physical touch isn't necessarily a component of that at the moment. But again, these are all things that we've never gone through before. So we will be no doubt firefighting this when this is all over and trying to find out what the impact of it is and how best to try and manage it. But at the moment, I think it's such a short-term thing. We just need to be day-to-daying at the moment. But yeah, at the pace of making someone vigilant without being overwhelmed is difficult. It's tricky and you mightn't get it right all the time. But what I would say to every parent out there is your availability and your approachability is more important than your accuracy. Do you know what I mean? So saying to somebody, if you have a question, you come and get it. And, and, and you know, there's lots of people who will be stressed about jobs and economies and, and children pick up on that. And they think, I don't want to ask mom and dad a question because they're already stressed. Yeah. It's really important that they have that license to approach you no matter what. And I would say, take the approach of how you would approach a roller coaster with your child in the, in the sense that you don't know, you can't guarantee it's not going to be scary because you don't know, but you can guarantee your presence, which is we're in this together. So no matter what happens, we will deal with this together. And so you're giving them the message that it's not a false promise, but you're, you are promising your presence and your availability so that if things get tricky, you will be there for them. And, you know, that, the message of, you know, I always say this is unusual to say in a pandemic, but an important message to tell your children is we've got this, you know, yeah. not in terms of the virus, but in terms of <laughs> the crisis. And, uh, and I do think, you know, that that's the message that they need to hear. Uh, and it, it encourages normality. It's encouraged them to feel contained and that someone, the adults in the room are looking after this and, and it's going to be okay. Brilliant. Uh, not a great analogy there that with the roller coaster. So, you know, we're in this together. And a great line again, your, so as parents, our availability and our approachability is, is more important than our accuracy at this moment in time. And that, that almost reminds me of, uh, we, were on, we were on a webinar recently and Dr. Mark Rowe said, uh, had a great line, you know, good enough is good enough at this moment in time. And set, the, set those realistic expectations, you know, don't beat yourself up when you're not, you're not comparing yourself, you're not hitting the same standards as somebody on, on Instagram, for example. So good, good enough is good enough. And any, fi- any final pieces of advice then for, for parents, for children, as, as we head into the next few weeks? I think the, the most important relationship you ever form in your life is the relationship you have with yourself. And over the last number of weeks, we've had a lot of time to get to know ourselves. And we might be finding out things that we were, we're not too proud of about ourselves and maybe things that we, we didn't want to see. But knowledge within that relationship is what resilience is, knowing where my strengths are, knowing where my limitations are, and designing my expectations in accordance to that. It allows us to feel, again, going back to that happiness formula of expectation minus reality equals happiness. And we have to adjust our expectations when our reality adjusts for us. So I, I would absolutely endorse what Mark says, good enough is good enough. 
Um, we just have to get through this and we have to manage it. And we're not, nobody's going to perfectly manage pandemic, whether it's in work or at home or in any relevance of our lives. But if we're learning from it and doing the best that we can, you know, failure is not about falling down. It's about refusing to get back up. And, and we will, we're being not in as collectively, we've, we've taken a big hit here so socially, economically, but we do believe we need to believe in our togetherness and our power of togetherness and really be able to kind of get back up. And I've every faith that as a culture, we have a great deal of skill sets as, you know, as Irish people, as fighters and people who, do get back up and are resilient and I, I strongly believe it'll help us to get through this genuinely yeah such a such a brilliant and, and positive note to finish up on there so we absolutely will get back up from this listen Coleman you've been so generous with your time really wonderful advice thanks so much for for giving up your time for this and for sharing all your your knowledge and wisdom and listen keep up the brilliant work on the front line stay safe best wishes to you to you and your family and we'll chat with you again soon. Pleasure, Brian. All the best. Thank you, Coleman. Hi, everyone. Brian here again. Big thank you for listening right to the end of this episode of the WorkWell podcast. This podcast was brought to you by our partners, Irish Life Health and AJ Products. Original music that you're hearing right now was composed by my good friend, Greg Clifford. Check out the website, workwellpodcast.com where you can access show notes for each episode and there's plenty of other great content there too. If you'd like to support the continued production of this podcast, you can donate through the website too. I would love if you could head over to iTunes or Google Play or wherever you get your podcasts to subscribe, rate and leave a review. It's really appreciated. If you like what you heard today, please share this episode with your friends so they too can discover and benefit from the content. Finally, if you have any suggestions for future topics you'd like to hear on the show, email me directly, brian at workwellpodcast.com. Remember to work well, stay safe, and I'll see you on the next episode.